everybody? How are you today? Good. I'm good. Thanks. Thanksgiving was good for you? All right. Okay. Yeah, it was good for me. I had a good time. Got to be with one of my daughters, and it was a good time. So glad you guys are back. If you went away, if you're a guest here visiting someone else from out of town, thanks for being here today. We're glad you're here. So uh, Michelle asked you a couple of questions. I want to follow up with one more question for Christmas, and that is, who are you inviting? We really want to make sure that we're inviting our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, coworkers, whoever those are, to come and join us for Christmas. We've got this really strong conviction here at Lakeside that has been growing for us over the last several years and even, and even more specifically in the last few months. And that is that God has sovereignly and strategically placed you into a neighborhood or household or community of about 8 to 15 people. And he puts you in that group so that you would love and serve and care for those people and that you would begin to live out the light of Christ in front of them. And the Bible calls that an oikos. Oikos is the Greek word for house or an extended household. And one of our goals here by the end of 2013 is that every person who is you know, faithfully involved here at Lakeside Church is that you would know who your oikos is. Again, it's people that brought, God has brought in your life. They may, be, they may be family members. They may be neighbors of yours. They may be coworkers or teammates or something like that. But we want you to know who your oikos is. So we gave you in the copy of the view today, the program, we gave you a little card that says my neighborhood. And what I'd like you to do is fill that out. And maybe today, maybe you, maybe you got to think about it a little bit. It's like, well, God, who are those people that you've put like, consistently in my life that you want me to love and serve and care for with the good news of Jesus? And then once you get that filled out, I want you to begin to pray for them every single day. And here's what we've been finding out. In my life, in the lives of other people who have been talking to me about this, what we're finding out is the more you pray for the people on this card, the people in your circle already, the more God brings them to you with opportunities to share his love and his grace and his kindness to them. So make your list. uh, Be praying for them every day. Then watch for opportunities to care for them, love them, and then invite them to come to church. Invite them to come for Christmas. Most people, if they had an invitation to come for a Christmas service, will come. And so I want you to come. I want you to invite them to come. Now, we got some helpful tools out in the lobby for you today. There's some, there's some invitation cards. There's little round ones if you like that. There's peel and stick kind. If you like that, you can stick it on a plate of cookies and give it to your neighbors. You know, happy Christmas and thanks for, you know, being my neighbor. And here's some cookies and come to church. That wasn't quite as smooth as you thought it was going to be. It happens sometimes. That's all right. So anyway, that's kind of the deal. Also, we have yard signs out there. One of our recent traditions is where we put yard signs out for big events. And so I want you to get a yard sign. There's about 600 of them. So get a yard sign. Put it in your front yard. Make sure people know that you're coming to church here on Christmas weekend. Good. Any questions? Awesome. All right. Let's pray together. Okay. Father in heaven, you are good to us. And we appreciate that goodness. We're so grateful to you for who you are and what you do in our lives, and we just come through a week of giving thanks to you. And that's awesome. But, Lord, you're worthy of our thanksgiving every single day. And now as we're turning the page, looking toward Christmas, uh, we're grateful to you for that. We're grateful to you that you sent your son, Jesus, to be our Savior and our Redeemer. So thank you for him. Lord, today we're looking into the gospel according to Job, and I pray that you would open our eyes to your heart Open our heart to your heart today and reveal to us what you want us to know and what you want us to think and how you want us to feel and what you want us to do. Lord, we ask this through Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. 
So we are in the Gospel according to Job. It's also called the Book of Job in the Old Testament. And uh, we left our hero, Job, last week hanging on a cliff. Do you remember? I felt really badly about that, leaving you on a cliffhanger with, you know, Job saying, God, you have taken away my hope. It's like, that's, you know, not really where I want to leave you on a weekend. But we've come back together, and now we're going to talk about where Job goes from that cliff that he was hanging on. And so here's a little bit of background in case you're new with us today or you haven't been you know, able to track along with where we've been so far. The story of Job is a story of a real person who suffered real disastrous loss, which makes him very much like any of us, right? And, and sometimes we look at Job and go, oh, he's a hero of the faith, but he was really just a person like us. He was righteous, he was a God pursuer, but he was like us, and he was a real person And he suffered real pain. He suffered real loss. In fact, in the beginning of the story, right off the bat, the story goes that Job lost his children. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost the animals and the tools that he had to gain more wealth. He had friends who came to comfort him in in the midst of all those losses. And when his friends got there and saw how devastated he was, they changed their course. And instead of comforting him, they started accusing him of wrong. They started accusing him of sin. They said, Job, if, if you hadn't messed up so badly, God wouldn't be punishing you. If you just repent and turn around, then everything will get better right away. And so now he's lost his friends as well. He's suffered this amazing, tragic series of losses. And in the midst of it, in the darkest part of that, he looks to heaven and he says, God, you have destroyed my hope. One of the greatest tragedies in life, in human life, is when, a, is when a human being gets to the place where they have no hope. And it's a step lower than that if you come to the place where you say, God, you're the one who destroyed my hope. You're the one who took my hope away. And that's where Job was. God, you have destroyed my hope. And I don't know where you are today, but I'm very sensitive to the fact that the holidays are not always bright shiny lights for everybody it's not always a warm cup cup of uh uh-oh it's not always a cup of cocoa for you in your life right there are some of us who have suffered some things in our lives and sometimes the suffering or the loss came at the holidays and so every time the holidays come around it's a dark time for us some of us have lost loved ones this year and now the holidays come around this will be the first time that we're walking through this holiday without our loved one that's my case with my mom this year She wasn't with us for Thanksgiving. And for some of us, that puts us in a dark hole. And the holidays aren't brightness and light. They're they're darkness. And for some, that darkness goes to another level when it becomes hopelessness. And so if that's where you are, the Bible says God knows exactly what you feel like. Because he engages us in this story called Job. Job gets into the situation where he has these terrible losses, but something amazing happens to him as he begins wrestling with God in this journey. In the darkest moment of his suffering, light begins to leak in from the cracks and from the edges of his pain and his loss. And you don't know it right off the bat, but we're going to find out today that it becomes the light of the Messiah. And something's different when you get to the spot in your life where you can say, I have the light of of the Messiah. Suddenly the gospel according to Job shows us the way through pain and loss. 
And that's what I want you to see with me today. We're going to take a little bit more of a journey with Job. And what we're going to do is just walk through some of the things that he says through this book. Now, again, in case you're not real familiar with the book, some of you have been reading along, I think. But if you're not real familiar with the book, there's the story of Job's losses. And then there's a long section where there's these alternating speeches between Job's friends and Job. And Job makes a statement that his friends make a statement of accusation. Then Job defends himself. And then there's another statement from some friends of some accusation. It goes back and forth. I'm going to skip all the stuff the friends say today because God says they didn't speak the truth about him anyway. But I'm going to land on some of the things that Job says because I want you to see a progression in Job's journey as he wrestles with God in the midst of the darkness. And what happened in Job's life can happen in our life if we're willing to engage with God and to wrestle with him in the journey of darkness. So let's look at some statements from Job. Let's start in chapter 9, Job chapter 9, and I want to read verse 33 through 35 for you. Here's Job's first statement for us today. Job chapter 9, verse 33. He says, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it now stands with me, I cannot. Job's feeling squeezed on every side. He's got God who seems to be angry at him. He's got these friends who came to comfort him, but now they're upset with him. And Job makes this statement, if only there were a mediator between us. What Job's really doing at this point is he's wishing He says, I I, I wish I had a mediator. There's not one. I don't see one. One translation says, there is no umpire between us. Which, that may be the first reference to baseball in the Bible. Not sure. (laughs) There is no umpire between us. There's, There's not a mediator between us. He's saying, I wish there were. I wish there was someone that could bring us together. But I don't find that person. He's making a declaration of loss. He's making a declaration of grief, and he's making a a declaration of hopelessness. I wish I had a mediator that could go between us. It's a statement of despair. I don't have that. Then turn over to chapter 16, verse 19. And watch how Job's tone begins to change as he walks through this wrestling process with God. Job 16, verse 19, he says, Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. Something changes in his tone as he makes this statement. Now he expresses belief that he has these three characters in his life. He says, even now my witness is in heaven. A witness is someone who speaks up for someone else about what he knows or what he's experienced. He says, even now I have a witness and he's in heaven. Which is, if you have a wrestling match with God, if you have this conflict with God, the best place to have a witness is in heaven. He says, even now, I have a witness, and he is in heaven. He speaks for me in heaven. And then he says, and my advocate is on high. An advocate is someone who goes to bat for someone else. It's like a pinch hitter, which I don't know why we're in December and having baseball illustrations, but it works for me. So 
he goes, I have an advocate. He's on high. I've got a pinch hitter on high. I've got someone who's going to bat for me on high. What's that? That's in heaven again. Do you need an advocate with God to have one in heaven with him is the best place to have him. He says, I, I have a witness. I have an advocate on high. And my intercessor is my friend. An intercessor is someone who pleads your case, pleads for you towards somebody else. And my intercessor, he says, is my friend. He says, I have a witness, I have an advocate, and I have an intercessor. It's fascinating because he describes these three different characters, but if you understand Hebrew poetry, and I've described this for many of you before, so you've heard this, but in Hebrew poetry, the basic form of of poetry for the Hebrew language is parallelism. So one line is explained by the next line, and that line is explained sometimes by the next line, and they just go together. So when he says, I have a witness in heaven, I have an advocate on high, and my intercessor is my friend, there's three different characters, but they're the same person. Does that ring any theological bells for you? I have three characters in my life, but they are the same person. My witness, my intercessor, my advocate, they're the same. And he says, and he is my friend. Now, if you're paying attention to Job, that, might, that last part might not be too comforting. Because Job had three friends who came to comfort him, and they turned against him. They became stand-ins for the accuser, stand-ins for Satan. But in this case, he's saying, I've got this advocate in heaven. I've got this witness in heaven. My intercessor's in heaven, and he's my friend. He's saying, I can count on him. And now the tone has changed from where Job started when he said, I wish I had a mediator. Now he says, I believe I have a witness, an advocate, and an intercessor. Which is stronger? I wish or I believe? Which is stronger? Let's do interactive church. I wish, I believe. Yeah, I believe is stronger. Job's faith is growing as he wrestles with God in the midst of this dark journey. He moved from I wish I had to I believe I have. And then look over at chapter 19, verse 25. Here's one of the great statements in the Bible. I love this. 1925, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I know that my Redeemer lives. Here's the climax of his journey. Here's the climax of his wrestling with God. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. I wish I had a mediator. Then I believe I have a witness, an advocate, an intercessor. And now I know that my Redeemer lives. Which is stronger, believe or know? Know is stronger. Now know may come because I believe. Know may come because I have faith. But know is stronger even than believing. I wish, I believe, I know. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. The word for Redeemer is the Hebrew word goel. It doesn't matter if you remember that word or not. If you're not going to be a Hebrew scholar, it won't matter. But the word goel was a word that literally meant a kinsman redeemer. 
it was a technical term in that culture where someone, if someone had suffered a loss and someone needed to help redeem them from that loss or bring them back to recover from that loss, the kinsman redeemer was the one to do it. A family-oriented, a family member who was going to redeem that person or buy them back or buy out their debt, whatever that thing was. The Goel, the kinsman redeemer, is found in the story of the book of Ruth. Do you remember the book of Ruth? It's the story of this Jewish family who left Israel during a drought and they went over to Moab and the two sons in the family got married to Moabite women. But then the dad and the two sons both died and now there's three widows left behind. Ruth was one of those younger widows. When her mother-in-law decided to come back to home, to Israel, Ruth said, I'm going to go with you. Naomi, the mother-in-law, said, no, no, you stay here. I've got nothing for you. I'm completely devastated. I'm desolate in my life. I've got nothing for you. You stay here with your family and your people. And Ruth said, not on your life. I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you stay, I'm staying. And she committed to her mother-in-law. They came back to Israel. When they got there, sure enough, they had nothing. Except there was a kinsman redeemer. There was someone who was there who was able to redeem that family, to put them back into a position where they were restored in their relationships with the people of Israel and with the God of Israel. He was a kinsman redeemer. But his name is not recorded in the scripture because he decided not to redeem Ruth. He said, if I redeem Ruth, I'll jeopardize my own inheritance and I'm not willing to do that. So I won't redeem her. And so the Bible simply names him an old so-and-so. Literally, that's the name he gets in the Bible. Be careful what you do in the Bible. Name won't be recorded. He's called an old so-and-so. But there's another kinsman redeemer who was next in line in the family. His name was Boaz. And Boaz came along and he saw Ruth and he saw her character and he saw how faithful she was to her mother-in-law. And he said, I'll redeem you. And he brought Ruth into his family. He redeemed her. He was the kinsman redeemer. He was the Goel. In the book of Job, in the gospel according to Job, Job says, I know that my kinsman redeemer lives. I know it. I, I wished I had a mediator. I believed I had the, the witness and the advocate and the intercessor. But I know that my Redeemer lives and he's making progress in his faith journey. And then he makes this statement in verse 26. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job's skin was already being destroyed by this time, wasn't it? I mean, when he lost his health, he, he didn't just get sick. He got covered with boils. He was covered with blisters, head to toe in his body. He was absolutely miserable from pain physically. His flesh was already being destroyed. But he said, after my flesh is destroyed. In other words, when life is gone from me, after my flesh is destroyed, still I will see God. What is that? That's an expectation of resurrection. That's hope of a resurrection. What is, what is resurrection? It's after your body is destroyed, after death comes to your body, yet you see God, yet you live. That's resurrection. Job had this expectation of resurrection. And there you come to the end of, of the story of his journey of faith with God. He starts off saying, I wish I had this. Then he said, I believe I have this. And he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. 
And then he said, and I expect a resurrection. And that's everything for him. I expect to have a resurrection. That expectation changes his hope, changes his perspective, moved him from dark, darkness to light. And here's what I believe about this. I believe that our faith grows when we wrestle with God through pain and loss. Frankly, those of us who have never suffered loss, those of us who have never suffered significant pain, we have a challenge growing our faith because there's nothing for it to push against. There's nothing for it to lean into. But those who have suffered some kind of loss, those who have suffered some kind of significant pain, it's in those moments where if we will lean into it and say, God, I'm going to wrestle this through with you. I'm not giving up on you, God. I, I will trust you in the midst of this. When we wrestle with God through those losses, God increases our faith. And our faith grows. From wishing to believing to knowing to expecting. If in your life today, you look at your life and you go, man, my life is a mess. My life is a loss right now. Lean into God in the midst of it. Don't run from him. Don't back up from him. Wrestle with him. Engage him in that process of loss. Because in the engagement, God grows our faith. I've been calling this the gospel according to Job. And I want to tell you why. Well, you, if you just watch that part of the story, you'll see why. Right? To, go, to get to the place where you say, I expect a resurrection. I know my Redeemer lives and I expect a resurre resurrection. That's hope. That's gospel. Can I show you how that plugs into the rest of what we know as the gospel? If you were to go to the New Testament, you would find several passages where the words of Job ring out truth to us. So, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm just going to read these. You can write them down and look these up later. Uh, or if you're really fast, you can turn to them. But here's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, says this. This is from the Apostle Paul to his friend Timothy. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Job said, I wish I had a mediator. And Paul says, there is one mediator. His name is Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, written by the Apostle John. It's a, it's a letter to seven churches. He says, uh, from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. I have a mediator, and I have a witness. His name is Jesus. First John chapter 2, verse 1, written also by the Apostle John, he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
I have a mediator. I have a witness. I have an advocate. His name is Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, the Apostle Paul writes this one. He says this, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I not only have a witness, I not only have a mediator and an advocate, I have an intercessor, Christ, as at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me. Again, from a position in heaven, right next to the Father, he's interceding for me. And so every time the accuser comes and says, God, did you see Franklin today? Did you see how he messed up today? Did you see how he walked away from you today? And right when the Father might be ready to say, yeah, I noticed that, then Jesus is in the Father's ear interceding for me. And he says something to the effect of, yeah, Father, I took care of that one too. I nailed that one to the cross too. And then there's a story found in Luke chapter 24. It's an Easter story, so it feels a little bit maybe out of place in a Christmas celebration or the, or the month of December. But Easter is never out of time for us. And so here's this story on the first day of the week after Jesus' crucifixion. And some of the disciples of Jesus, a couple of disciples of Jesus, were making their way from Jerusalem out toward a little town on the northwest side of the city called Emmaus. It was a couple hours' walk from the city of Jerusalem. They're walking out to Emmaus. And while they're walking, they're talking about everything that had happened to Jesus that weekend. His crucifixion and the burial and all that happened that weekend. And they're grieved as they're talking about it. they got their heads down. They're trudging along on their way to Emmaus. When suddenly a stranger walks up. This would not be uncommon on the road in that generation where... People were walking along and someone else would join their caravan. They would join their group as they were walking. There were safety in numbers. So this stranger walked up and he says, can I join you? They said, sure. They continued talking. As they walk along, the stranger says, what are you talking about? They said, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth and how we thought he was going to be the redeemer of our people. But they crucified him on Friday. And he's dead. But they continued. They said, but... This morning, some of the women from our group, they went to the tomb, and they saw the stone was rolled away, and they saw that, the, that Jesus' body was not there any longer, and then, they, and then they said they saw him, and they said, he's alive, and we don't know what to make of it. And then this stranger, who we find out in the story is Jesus in disguise, who's walking along with them, he begins to open up the scriptures to these disciples. He says, oh, you, oh, you foolish ones, and, and you who are slow of heart to believe. He said, didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things? Didn't the Messiah have to die? Didn't he have to rise again? Isn't that what the scripture says? And wouldn't it be interesting if you got to go back someday and listen to the scriptures that Jesus opened up to those disciples on the road to Emmaus, would you be surprised if you found Job, Job chapter 9 in that list? I wish I had a mediator. Would you be surprised if Jesus landed on Job chapter 16 and said, I believe I have a witness and an advocate and an intercessor? Would you find it surprising if Jesus landed on Job 19 where Job declared, I know that my Redeemer lives and I expect to see him someday after the resurrection. 
See, Jesus found in the book of Job, he found the gospel. Written right in the pages of the, of the book of Job. And he holds it out to us and he says, you could believe in this as well. You could have this walk of faith as well. In the middle of whatever darkness you're suffering, you could have this hope as well. Because it's when we wrestle with God in the midst of pain and loss that God grows our faith. In Jesus, the Messiah, our witness, our advocate, our intercessor, our redeemer. I know that my redeemer lives. Father in heaven, thank you for this. I'm grateful to you for all that you've done for us through Jesus. I'm certain that I don't know all about it. But I know enough to know, Father, that you sent Jesus to be my redeemer, and he lives. And God, I'm so grateful to you for him. I pray for my friends, Lord. I don't know who's going through dark times, tough times. I don't know. But I pray for my friends here in the room that you would let us lean into you when those hard spots come, that we would grow in confidence of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we would know beyond a shadow of question that our Redeemer lives. Lord, thank you for these things. We love you. We honor you together. We remember what Jesus did for us. Amen.